been in a series called Gospels, and we've been going through the book of Galatians, and we're kind of winding down towards the end now. We're in the last chapter in chapter 6, and Paul has been giving his concluding arguments uh, in this letter. He opened up very frustrated. He opened up very annoyed because he had planted this church. Uh, He walked through them, taught them the biblical foundations of what they needed to believe, uh, called the gospel, how that applies to their life. And then when he left, uh, another group came in and started teaching them other ways, teaching them a false doctrine and, or, or other gospels. And Paul says, no, there's only one gospel. And we've kind of talked about it week after week after week. What does it mean? What is it? And how does it apply to our lives? And what we've been talking about the past few weeks now is the Spirit's work when we give ourselves over to the gospel and believe what Jesus has done. And so last week we talked about being filled with the Spirit and what that means and looking at the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of what Paul calls the flesh or our nature, our human nature. And it it kind of brought it down, how does the Spirit affect us on a personal level? But now this week, as Paul begins to expand on what the Spirit's work does and what it means to truly walk in the Spirit and to have the fruit of the Spirit, he brings it to a place of community, and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Today's title or message is, We Are Not Alone. Because a lot of the Christian walk, unfortunately, because of our culture, this individualistic culture that we live in, has become a culture of me and God. And we hear that all the time, or at least I do. I hear it all, you know, it's, you know, it's just between me and God. Or, you know, I'm just going to let you do you, and that means however you want to practice your Religion or your Christianity, you just do that because it's, it's just between you and him. But actually, Christianity and its fullness is practiced in community. And that's what we're going to talk about today because if, if you see God working in your life and it has only changed you on an individual level but does not change how you interact with people, then there's a disconnect happening where the Spirit's work has not truly formed or been forming in your heart. And so Paul brings this work of the Spirit into this community aspect. What does it mean to live in community as a church with the Spirit working in our lives? And, and that's kind of what we're going to land on. So the, the first thing I want to look at is Galatians 6.1. And we're going to kind of break up today a lot. Because there's a lot of kind of thoughts that Paul goes through and how this works out in communities. In practical, sensible ways. And so the the first thing, what we're going to read is Galatians 6, verse 1. You can read with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What's interesting here is what Paul is bringing out is what happens when we sin should actually be a community experience. It shouldn't just be a personal thing. You know, um, and a lot of times it's not a community experience because our experience with sin in community has been negative a lot of times. Because what happens is we are so used to shame culture, we are so used to legalism, we are so used to, if you don't get this right, can't be here. 
And so our, our understanding of transgression here, as Paul says, if you're caught in any transgression, you are a spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Instead of it being community experience, a lot of times our transgressions, our sins, we've kept them at an individual letter, let, level. I'm going to hide. No one can see this right now. Once I get things right, maybe I'll open up myself and let other people in. Maybe if I can trust you after we build a, a friendship after 10 years, maybe I will let you in to my deepest, darkest secret. And you should be just really, you, you should be really happy because I don't tell anybody this. And this is a lot of times what our, our lives have come to. That when we sin, there's this natural incl inclination. I got to keep this hidden. I can't tell anybody about this. This is, this is shameful. I, I shouldn't have done this. I don't, I don't want other people to judge me. I don't want them to look at me wrong. I don't want them to, to think I'm somebody that, that I'm not. And so I hide. I withdraw. I put up walls. My mentor, one of the people that speaks into my life, he was telling me a story of when he first got saved, he went into a very fundamental church, fundamentalist church. Um, and when he sinned, they would make him go stand in front of the church and confess his sin. He, he kept on falling into fornication, which is just sex outside of marriage. And so he would, they would make him stand in front of the church and confess what he's done. And, and after they would kind of excommunicate him from the community for a little bit, they would kind of shun him to make sure that he learned his lesson, that he knew that this wasn't cool. And it wasn't cool. It wasn't good what he was doing. But instead of restoring him in gentleness, what they did was they shamed him publicly. And so he told me the last time that, he, that they tried to make him do this, he went up there and instead of confessing his sin like he was supposed to do, he said, you bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> and this is when I, I, he didn't know, but I was like, man, just telling the story, this is how I confirmed that you were supposed to be a pastor. <laughs> Say, you bunch of hypocrites, I know I'm not the only one that sinned this week, yet I'm the only person that you're making come up here to confess in front of everybody. And he's right. Because we've put different sins on different levels and different things, and this is not as bad as this, and this is worse than that, and, and we've put different shame levels on this, different shame levels. You'll be condemned for this. We'll still accept you. There's this gray area where you sin in here, and it, we've gotten crazy with it. Church restoration has been hurtful, it's been shameful, it's been condemning, but what it hasn't been is it hasn't been restoring, and it hasn't been restoring with gentleness. See, many times we look at other Christians from a high horse if we've been doing well. Oof. You're dealing with that? Let me tell you, I remember those days when I used to deal with that. You, you're really not doing good. Last time I did that three days ago. You know, God really had to deal with me, but he did. I'm never going to do it again, you know. And it's funny because it says you who are spiritual. But what Paul is referring to when he says you who are spiritual, he's referring to the church at large. And a lot of times we can read that, oh, is there a special group of spiritual people in the church? But no, 
What did Paul say? The spirit is for everybody. All of us are spiritual. All of us have the spirit dwelling within us. All of us have access to the spirit's filling, the spirit's fruit in our lives. So when he's saying, you who are spiritual, us as a church should come around people who have transgressed against God. And rather than cast them out, shame them, hurt them, what we should do is restore them and be gentle with them. But then Paul says this, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And this is, this is almost a reminder against pride, against that Christian that would say, yeah, I remember when I was that dumb to fall into that type of sin. What Paul is reminding them here is, this could happen to you. How would you want to be treated? Temptation still comes. There could be a moment of weakness in your life that you succumb to temptation. What do you want that process to look like? Do you want it to be one that's shaming? Do you want it to be one where your, your dirt is just aired out and people look at you funny when you come on Sunday, where people stop talking to you, stop texting you, stop inviting you over because, oh, this person, he's, they've done something. Maybe they, they've lashed out in anger. Because they're still working on that. And instead of restoring that person, being gentle with them, comforting them, we say, I'm not hanging out with that person anymore. And then we call it, did you hear what this person did? They, can you believe what, how they spoke to me, what they said to me? Just because I did this little thing, they went crazy. And then that kind of makes the rounds. It makes the church circuit. Paul's saying, this could happen to you. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Pride is easy to get involved, especially if it's been a while since you've done something and somebody comes and it's, it's like, man, I didn't curse for two weeks, but now all of a sudden I hear somebody that curses and I'm better than them. I stopped smoking weed last week, and this person's blowing up a blunt right here, and I'm like, what's wrong with them? Why are you smoking in the street like this? We, we just have this tendency to be proud, to say, I've overcome that, and so why are you so dirty to still do that? But what, what Paul is trying to get them to understand here is that when we, when we went over adoption, when we went over how the gospel affects literally who our parent is, who our father is, he wants them to understand that we are entering into a community. And when we come into true community, when we Testing. When we understand the gospel and its fullness, we understand that it's not just something that affects our personal life with God only, but it affects our community life. And so let's read here in Galatians 6, 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
It's funny here, this, this use that Paul is saying, so fulfill the law of Christ. He spent the entire book of Galatians bashing the law. And yet here he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to follow the law? You want to do good works? Here is the law of Christ that you should follow. Care for one another. What does that look like? You can't meet rent this week? Man, how can I help you? Maybe there's some people we could call, we could pitch in so that you can get by. The kids are driving you crazy right now? Maybe I can come over, do some chores, wash some dishes, clean some of the house. Maybe I can watch them so you can go out. You're depressed, you're lonely this week? Come over. Let's pray together. Do you want to go out to dinner together? You want to catch a movie? You're not alone. This is what bearing each other's burdens looks like. I remember when we had our first son, Judah. We were in the, the church I grew up in, Resurrection Church. And it was one of the greatest testaments to what the church should be for me. Uh, because we, it, you know, having a first child, if you haven't had a first child, it's a traumatizing experience. You know, I, I feel like nobody really tells you the truth that the first three months of your first child is probably like the worst three months of your life. It is seep depravity. You just, you have no clue what you're doing. You're constantly scared that you're killing a human being. Like, before, I would, every hour I would wake up, like, is this kid still breathing? You know, what's going on over here? You, you don't know how to hold the kid. You don't know anything. And it's just, you know, you can't, you just don't function. And so there were other people in the church that had known this. And so, thankfully, for six weeks, we had somebody cook for us every single night. Yeah, exactly. Every, every parent knows what that means. It was just an incredible experience. Every, and, and some people came over, they cooked, and then they cleaned. They would clean our bathroom, our kitchen, our living room. If you've been to our house, you know how much we love and need that. <laughs> and I, I remember that moment clearly because it was a moment that this is what the church is about. This is what bearing each other's burdens is. This is what it looks like to be in a community that deeply cares for one another, that sacrifices for one another, that gives up of their own time, of their own resources, of their own things. And they say, here, let me carry this for you. Let me do this for you. I know what, what, what it's like to be in this stage of life. Here, let me help you. Sometimes we think of we think of doctrine, we think of the Bible, we think of God, and we think of this very just spiritual experience. For some of us, that, that may mean, hey, when I'm, when I'm with God, it, it, it means that I'm crying, I'm releasing, I'm journaling. You know, it's, it's, a, it's this spiritual kind of dump. We, we got to get all this out. For some of us, it's listening to a good teaching, it's, it's getting that right podcast, it's reading the right book, it's this, this is what 
spirituality is about. But Paul is constantly bringing it back to the practical, to the natural. Spirituality, Christianity, following the gospel has deep practical understandings for our everyday life. How have you treated your neighbor this week? How has it been in your church life? Have you, have you bared one another's burdens? Have you come to each other and said, hey, let me help you in this area? Have you noticed somebody, maybe you haven't seen them in a little while, and you think, man, I wonder if that person's doing well. Let me check up on them. Finding out, hey, you've actually been going through a hard time. How can I help? The gospel deeply plays a part in our community life. But this next verse that we're going to read is Paul has a reminder right in the middle of this passage on community. I love it. He says, yes, there's a lot with community, but there's still something that has to do with the individual. And so let me remind you of that real quick. And I'm actually reading out of the NIV instead of the ESV for this because I felt like it translated and got the gist better. I had to read the ESV like eight times to, with the commentary to understand what the heck this verse was talking about. And so I decided to read the NIV here for us to help us get a semblance of kind of what Paul is saying. In, in chapter 6, verse 3 to 6, it says this. For if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Really interesting verse here. Because it seems contradictory to what we just read. But it's not, and I'm going to tell you why. Because there's a difference between a load and a burden in the Greek. And that makes all the difference in what we're about to unpack. you got to think of a load. He says each one of us needs to carry our own load. A load we can think of as a backpack, maybe a duffel bag. This is something that, easy, I got this, not a problem. Did it all these years in school. I can carry my own load. When he says bear one another's burdens, a burden is a heavy weight. A burden is something that we cannot do on our own, that if we're trying to do it on our, uh, alone, we're struggling. We have to rest every five minutes just to get it that one inch to move it. It just seems impossible. It has weights on it. And what Paul is reminding the church here is this. We want to live in community, yes, but we cannot blame everything on community either. See, it's easy to blame our problems on the church and the Christian community. That's when we start talking about community, when the church has failed us. Oh, I hate the church. I don't go to church. Why not? I, was just, I just went through like five different things to call people in the church, and I was like, nope, not appropriate, nope, not appropriate, nope, not appropriate, nope, not appropriate. I'm working on it. <laughs> She's like, I, I can't stand those people. Why? Because maybe we've experienced hurt. Maybe because we've, something happened where somebody said something. We, we were part of that gossip chain, and then it came and bit us later on. 
But Paul reminds us we each have a load that we must bear ourselves, and that load is this. No one is going to stand with us on Judgment Day. We stand in Judgment Day. Why don't you believe in God? Because Christians are awful. The church has hurt me. Why aren't you a follower of Jesus? I don't like his people. Those aren't excuses. Those aren't things that we can come and say, well, this is why I didn't follow you, Jesus, because I didn't like your community, because I didn't like your church. I didn't like the people that were following you. Well, actually, in following Jesus, Jesus calls us to be part of the restoration of the community. We are part of that change. But we cannot use that as an excuse to not follow him. There are people here that have been hurt by the church. And I thank you deeply for coming. I appreciate that you've given the church, the body of Christ, another chance. I appreciate that you said, you know what, I've been hurt. There's things that have happened in the past, but I'm willing to try again. I'm willing to give this another chance. I know that's hard. Whether you've experienced burnout, whether you've, you've been on the receiving end of some nasty, shameful things that... The, the thing about the church is it's made up of people. People are sinful. Look at the sins of your own life and then compound that times. However many people go to your church, there's that many X amount of sins that are in that church. But Paul says we cannot use that as our excuse to not follow Jesus. I believe it was John Wesley that said this, the church is a whore, but she is my mother. Wesley said it, so I could quote him. If you've been in church long enough, you know the truth of that statement. But that is why Paul talks about the deep implications of community, the practical aspect, what it means to live with one another, what it means to walk alongside one another, what it means to be each other's brother and sister. Because if we just come in to the church and it's an individual experience between us and God, then what we bring in is all the garbage from the outside and it just becomes a cesspool of sin together. Instead of a way for us to lift one another up, instead of a way for us to carry each other's burdens, instead of a way for us to truly care and love each other. That, what we talked about last week, that long-suffering part, that patience part, that slow-to-anger part, that not always having to get your own way part. These are things that have deep implications for community, for how we do church. That it extends way beyond a greeting and a goodbye on a Sunday morning, but it goes on to how do we live our lives? Are these people truly our brothers and sisters? Do I truly care for them? Will I sacrifice for them? Will I go out of my way for them? And if they do not do it for you, pray. Pray that God would develop community deeper in this place. Paul brings us right back into community in Galatians 6, verse 6. He says, first, we don't have excuses for the load or the responsibility of our life that we each have from God. 
But in verse 6, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. You know, first read on this, it may think like, make sure you tell me how much you love the sermon after church today. That's not what he's talking about. There are two community principles that Paul is talking about here. The first is learning. All of us need to be taught biblical doctrine, understanding what does the Bible say from a teacher. We can't learn it on our own. I still have mentors that teach me scripture, that go through scripture with me, that I bounce things off of. But it's especially important that each of us know that we can't just read the Bible on our own and think, how, how do I feel about this verse? What, is, what does this mean to me? Maybe I don't like this one, so I'm just going to gloss over it. That's something called humanism. Where we are the center of our interpretation of scripture. When that is actually not the case, there is clear meaning in scripture. There is clear truth in scripture, and we are called to learn from teachers. There are, we are called to be disciples. We are called to be disciples, where people pour into our life that walk through Scripture with us, that say, actually, this interpretation is wrong. This is, this is the right way. This is what it means. The Bible is not relative to our experiences. It has clear meanings that need to be taught, that need to be understood. And that doesn't just happen alone. It happens when people can teach us, can show us, and say, hey, yeah, this is actually what this means. This is actually what it's talking about here. That's one of the reasons why we have preaching on Sunday. That's why discipleship is one of the core values of our church. Because we know that the deeper we understand God through his word more we just fall in love with who he is, the more we can just have faith in our life for what God has told us he will do and has done. In our culture today, though, we've become consumers. Receiving information becomes a one-way street. I just, I want. I want, I want, I want. Oh, I really like this. I'm going to go take some of that. We, we live in this consumeristic society. And church has been a consumer relationship. I'm going to go to get. I'm going to go to get. I'm going to go to get. But Paul says, no, you should learn, but you should also give. When he says sharing all good things, it's crazy, but this actually translates in the practical aspect of sharing financially with the church. That we should support the work of us being taught. That we should support the work of us being discipled. That actually one way to deeply participate in community is to give financially to it. And not participating in that shows a one-sided relationship. It shows, man, I, I will take, but I will not give. I want to put before you today that that is a telltale sign to show that we have not truly begun to participate in community in the church. If we find ourselves constantly in a place where I love to receive, I love to receive, but 
when it comes to touch my wallet, son. Touch it. Watch how quickly I get out of this place. Unfortunately, church has had a bad relationship in America with money. We've had things like the prosperity gospel. We've had manipulation that has destroyed the good view that we should have as, of, of money as Christians. Jesus talked a lot about it because why? Show me where your treasure is. I'll show you where your heart is. I would tell people all the time, just let me see your bank statement. I'll, know, I'll tell you what you love. If you are having a hard time figuring out what your idols are in your life, just send me your bank statement. I'll tell you real quick. I got a finance degree. I can read it. I understand. I'll break it down for you real quick. This is idol number one, idol number two, idol number three. This is where God is, number four. Then this is, this, these are peaking right now. You got to watch out for these things. But actually participating in community isn't just getting, but it's giving. And we need to understand that as a church. Because part of seeing the mission of God go forward, part of seeing the church grow, part of seeing more teachers and more discipleship happen is making sure that there's resources in order for the mission of God to go forward. And I pray that God constantly convicts me to use my resources properly. That my resources wouldn't be something that I say is mine, but I realize it's just something God has given me to steward. And that in my stewardship, I would see that the things that the Bible prioritizes, I prioritize. That I take care of my family and that I see the mission of God go forward. The mission of the church. After this, Paul ends his thought with a strong exhortation. In Galatians 6, verses 7 to 10, he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, for then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Scripture tells us this, it's easy to want to do good. It may even be easy to start to do good, but it is not easy to keep doing good. You may have even listened last week about walking in the Spirit and being filled in the Spirit. And if you, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what we read last week. And you, you tried Monday, you tried Tuesday, you tried Wednesday, but it didn't really work out Wednesday. And you said, screw this, forget about this, it doesn't work. And it's easy for us to think about that with community. The first time somebody does something that annoys us, the first time that somebody is mean to us or is angry at us, the first time we hear somebody talking about us, the first time we feel ashamed about what has happened, we said, forget about this, it doesn't work, and we walk away. Next church, new season, baby. What does this say? Paul says, do not give up. Yeah, that's how true it was. 
Spirit really wanted you to hear that. And he uses this analogy, this farming analogy. Now, I know we're not farmers. We have no clue how to farm, right? Every plant I've ever bought has died. But you, we do understand this, that if we plant something, it takes some while to grow. We're pretty smart. We're New Yorkers. If you put a seed into soil, it doesn't just spring up that moment, unless it's like a chia pet and you can watch it grow. That is false news. Paul says, do not give up. Because this is a sowing and a reaping type of process. This is a process that takes time. Do not grow weary of doing good. For what? In due season you will reap eternal life. This new city that we speak about. This heaven on earth, this new community where we actually care about one another and don't just smile at everybody on Sunday. This is going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort on our part. But I want to exhort us as Paul exhorted the Galatians, do not give up. For in due season, you will reap from what you have sowed. It's easy to see dealing with each other as difficult, as painful. But as we keep on loving one another through pain, through shame, through difficulty, through sin, that is one of the main truths of the gospel at work in your heart. Where somebody can wrong you. And instead you give them a gift. Of wrong, instead of wronging them back. Where someone can try to destroy you. And instead you uplift them and pray for them. Where someone can literally rob you. You can go to them and say, if you were in need, just let me know because I can help. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you work on our hearts. That we would not have shallow community, Lord. That we would not have community that only that does not go below the surface. That, that never leaves the Sunday church smile, hello, and goodbye. But that we would have community. deep roots with one another that is not easily broken. Holy Spirit, we ask that you work in our hearts. Transform us, renew us. And when we confront situations, when we interact with people, that we would give room for your spirit to work. That instead of our responses and our actions, we would say, God, give me patience.